0: What you like to have a conversation
1: about i'd like to have a conversation about ex machina hello i am professor robert eg black and this is Minutia ex machina with me today is derek mcduff from underrated welcome thank
0: you so much for having me on
1: yeah now you're someone i haven't had as a guest on any of my shows before so the obvious first question is what's your experience with this movie like when did you first see it
0: so i saw this movie not too long after it first came out Of the three we're discussing, this is definitely the one that I am the least familiar with. The other two I have watched many times, not as many times as you, of course. Um, (laughs) I don't think anyone in the entire world has seen Groundhog's Day as much as you have. But uh, I had only seen Ex Machina once, and I really enjoyed it. I am a really big Alex Garland fan, more as a writer than a director. I know this was his directorial Mm, debut. But I'm, I'm a big fan of his, with maybe the exception of a recent film that he did. <laughs> so I was cu- really curious to go back to it and get to experience it for the first time in, you know, maybe five or six years.
1: And so you like it? Yeah,
0: yeah. You no, know, this is this is a, a really good movie. I think on my letterbox, I have it. at four and a half stars. The other two I have, I'll, you know, spoil a little bit. Uh, I have five stars think like the other two are like perfect masterpieces, whereas this is like just a really, really solid, good existential film
1: as you said Alex Garland is a writer I I also think mm-hmm. I covered Annihilation minute by minute and I still think as a, he's better as a writer than a director mm-hmm. I think he's getting better as a director
0: I would have said that before men
1: <laughs> I know some people don't like men yes I don't think any problem there even the people I mean I liked it mm-hmm. but I had two guests on the week after I saw it and we talked a lot about men that week mm-hmm. and I don't think the directing is at all a problem in that movie I think it's I don't remember if he did. He has a tendency. I don't think I have any in this minute. He has a tendency to cut from a shot to almost the exact same shot Mm. sometimes rather than like change for an edit. Right, right. Sometimes there's no reason for it. It's just like (laughs) he'd had different takes that he used. Like, yeah, that's when he cut to a different angle and then cut back.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that is interesting. I feel like maybe he's. With the films that he's also directed, especially this last one, he has maybe kind of just done too much. And I know one of the reasons he said that he has directed a lot of his last few films is he just doesn't trust anybody, which is kind of a bummer because I think he had such a good collaboration for a long time with Danny Boyle. Like all of my favorite Danny Boyle stuff is the stuff that was written by Alex Garland. So, yeah.
1: And it'd be interesting to see him just write something again or direct something someone else wrote. So yeah, like it could like yeah. narrow down how his capabilities have changed.
0: Yeah. And then it's interesting, like looking back at something like Dread, which he allegedly like kind of shadow directed. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of studio interference and stuff like that. And he just kind of you know, stepped in and did a lot of the directing. And I think that was one of the main things that kind of pushed him to be like, okay, well, I just got to do this myself officially. Yeah.
1: And fortunately, he does use a lot of the same people the same production designer the same art director and a lot of his like crew are the same and so he's definitely got a distinct look and a capability to what he's doing
0: yeah yeah definitely
1: everything he does he does on purpose some of the things he does i don't like but he does it on purpose <laughs>
0: yeah there is a lot of like there's always purpose behind everything he's doing even if sometimes you're like okay i see what you're going for it doesn't quite work for me but at least you had i will always admire an admirable failure more than just something that kind of plays it by the numbers and i will always respect him for that even when if of his films that i like a little bit less
1: yeah they went for something and Mm -hmm, good for them and this movie is a very in a way it doesn't make it obvious that it's going for something Mm -hmm. because it's just people talking you know it's a bunch of conversations in a row until suddenly it isn't yeah not that the trailer told you that right right included the violence
0: no what really hooked me when we were talking or when i saw your initial post was i was like okay i'm not a big minute by minutes fan i haven't really listened to a lot of those kind of podcasts Mm. but the hook of existentialism is something that i am very very interested in and i love all of that stuff and when it's on film it's so cool and i got right away why the other two fit into that category but i didn't think right away oh yeah ex machina very existential but going back and rewatching it i was like oh wow this really is it is really like so many films about artificial intelligence is like what is it to be human but this has so many extra layers of that of oh the turing test and all of this stuff that is in this film and with the stuff like with nathan and then um oh my gosh i'm spacing on uh uh the character's name um caleb caleb thank you Al Caleb it's like oh he seems like a nice just kind of quote unquote nice guy Yeah. but then it's like oh he basically kind of says I'm only saving her because I'm attracted to her like he's like well why did you give her sexuality if she was a grey box and so I'm like oh so you wouldn't be invested in saving her well he doesn't
1: make any effort to save kyoko Mm -hmm.
0: exactly yeah like i'm like same same exact thing because she's not having this interaction so is he kind of you know that nice guy trope you know it plays with a little bit and i know this movie feels even more like appropriate now that we have so many billionaires who are just concerned with their little pet projects Uh and and they're like oh i'm gonna save the world but i'm actually just like doing this for my own ego and data binding people and all this stuff
1: (laughs) i saw a great because like turing test is like this philosophical test i saw a great thing of a cartoon someone did of the trolley problem mm-hmm. and it was like if elon musk is in charge <laughs> I and that, rather I see than that, yeah. rather than the cart go onto either track it just flew away into space <laughs> 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 like okay like he didn't care just move up do something else yeah exactly or more likely he'd tr- crash right through the mound the takeoff
0: yeah and he- nathan feels very Elon Musk like he, he is that kind yes. of charismatic guy who probably has a cult following of bros and stuff like that mm-hmm. so, yeah. well
1: right he could have picked one of those people I think Caleb isn't one of those he doesn't like worship this guy mm-hmm. he is very enamored by him because yeah. he thinks he's brilliant and clearly he is mm-hmm. brilliant character but yeah I think he would have a cult following. Yeah, and Blue Book would be one of those things that people defend on Twitter constantly.
0: (laughs) Exactly, like you'd post something negative about it, and then just like all of the trolls would come out Uh and like defend. Just find you, just attack you.
1: Bunch of people with no followers and bunch of numbers on their name.
0: Mm.
1: (laughs) Now we're in minute twenty-nine of the film, so we're in Ava session two, where she has been trying to get some conversation going. Which amuses me. she's the one making more of an effort in this conversation.
0: Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting because she talks l- about reading micro expressions and stuff like that. Yeah. You can tell in this scene in particular, she is doing her own micro expressions oh, to yeah. get Caleb's response. And she's playing it very coy. And, you know, with knowing where the film goes, she's definitely setting him up and making him feel like oh yeah this is this is all about you but i'm the one falling in love with you but really you're the one getting played and you know the her just like oh is your status single you know just she seems like that cute manic pixie dream girl almost Uh and that quote-unquote nice guy is gonna fall right for that
1: and she even made an extra move that wasn't in the script little over a minute ago where she got up and kind of walked away from this conversation before she comes back and takes charge of it. Yeah. And that wasn't in the script. She was supposed to kind of take charge of the conversation, but she also did it physically. And so she's walking around this little vestibule he's in. And if it isn't obvious to the viewer before, we should see now that he's the one in the smaller space being observed Mm -hmm. and she's got plenty of room.
0: Yeah. I love that shot in this minute. And I only noticed it because I watched this minute a couple times in preparation, but where she is kind of like looking at the glass and she's kind of like mirrored for a second. And she's just kind of looking yep. at him. I thought that was, you know, that's exactly what you're talking about right there. Yeah,
1: they play with that a few times in this scene with her mm-hmm. on the glass and they played with that with him in the hallway because mm-hmm. the walls are also reflective.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely.
1: We see her at the beginning of this minute. She's reflected in the glass and she's standing to his side. So he's in this awkward kind of half turned position. Trying to keep up with her. And he was asking her as the minute started, Do you know what his company is? And she answers, Blue Book, named after Wittgenstein's notes. I've already talked about Wittgenstein a bit on this show, even read some stuff from him, specifically the blue book, where his notes dictated from nineteen thirty three and thirty four. And they're the ones that most people cite for stuff. I believe his brown book is not as interesting. And the supposed pink book that never got published, never got published. No. Yeah.
0: And Blue Book just sounds cooler too, I feel like, of, the, yeah. of all the names. If you're going to name your search engine or your alien uh, investigation thing after something, it might as well be Blue Yeah, Book. you don't
1: want Brown. Yeah, no. Doesn't... The alliteration's still there with Brown, but you, you don't want Brown.
0: Yeah, it doesn't have that ring to it. Sounds a little gross.
1: We get an angle on Caleb as Ava keeps talking. She explains, it's the world's most popular internet search engine, processing an average of 94% of all internet search requests. Which I assume she just made one to get that information. (laughs) And he, of course, is amused. That's exactly right. Yeah. She's given the probably the Wikipedia answer right there. Yeah. And then we get a close up angle on her as she changes the subject and she says, where do you live, Caleb? Off screen, he says, Brookhaven, Long Island. And she smiles. You know, she's getting him to give her information. She walks out of the frame as we're angled from behind her on him and she says, is it nice there? He says, it's okay. I got an apartment. It's kind of small. It's very small, but it's a five minute walk to the office. And we cut to her walking. And he says, and a five minute walk to the ocean, which I like. Never been to Long Island. So I don't know how nice Brookhaven is.
0: Yeah. West Coast guy here. So I have exactly no idea.
1: (laughs) And she gets to the corner of the vestibule and we see her doubled in the glass again from the new angle. And she asks, are you married? And we cut to him. And he's like, uh, no. Then she has now moved around closer to the little speaker grill in the glass. And she says, the line you are, he said, is your status single? He's like, yes. And then she steps closer to the glass. like She's getting more intimate. She can't get any closer. And she says, what about your family? Cut to him and he starts to explain about his family, but we get cut off. As he's going to say, I grew up in Portland, Oregon. We'll hear about his parents and everything else next minute. But I like The way this minute is presented, especially with the last one, because she has got up and she's the one moving around. She's the one taking charge of the conversation. I forget which guest it was. I think it was just the last episode. So it isn't out yet. was talking about how these aren't sessions for her. They may be named Ava session two, but this is her doing a session with Caleb.
0: Yeah. And it's interesting because she seems like she's almost playing up her roboticness And it's like a performance on so many levels because she's performing for him, but performing for him, for Nathan, who's watching both of them. Mm -hmm. So it's really interesting. And then, you you know, later on when the power drops and the Nathan part is cut out and she's like, okay, now I'm just performing for him. And she's a lot less robotic. She's a lot more like, hey, this is the deal. This is what's up. So you wonder, like, oh, how much of that is just her being robotic? How much of that is her performing for Nathan watching both of them? How much is for Caleb? How much is she knowing that, okay, her performance is going to influence Caleb, so she's got to elicit this response from Caleb, so Nathan will see that. So there's so many different layers. Like yeah. What she, it seems like, on first glance, a just very expositional scene. Right. Like, we're just telling you information about this guy where he lives. Okay, he's very alone in the world, et cetera, et cetera. But on second viewing, it makes so much more sense. And that's, I think overall, this movie on second viewing, it's one of those films where you catch so much more.
1: Well, yeah, because you know what to look for, like was she manipulating in the whole time or is she genuine?
0: Yeah, yeah. Exactly.
1: Is, is Nathan, like I've been operating in the last several episodes under the impression Nathan doesn't even have a drinking problem. Mm. That's part of his performance to manipulate. He wants to make Caleb think he has a chance to do something. And there's all these levels of where they might be manipulating one another or everyone might be entirely honest. Yeah, no. And it just is an unfortunate tragedy.
0: (laughs) And I think that's so interesting. And it's something that I think really plays on the existentialism of the film. And I think that what really makes this film existential is that it brings up the question of free will versus determinism so often. and I don't really know where it lands. And I think maybe. For me, it lands somewhere, and this might be my own prejudice and my own just wanting to see what I want to see. It kind of lands somewhere in the middle where it's like, yeah, we can look at people and predict that they'll do certain things, but there are all these variables and Ava is able to predict what both of these guys are going to do and use it to her advantage, yep. but they are still making decisions. And I'm kind of a unique band where I'm like, yeah. Maybe we can predict everything, but that doesn't necessarily cancel out free will and say that, oh, we aren't responsible for our actions. So this film really did a good job of kind of over and over again, just kind of making you think about that free will question. Like, what are we doing? You know, Nathan at any point could have made a different decision. So could have Caleb and things would have turned out very differently for them. But, you know, it's and it's the programming thing. And he talked to us like, you're programmed by this and I'm programmed by this and Ava's programmed by this. And whenever you bring AI into a film, it gives you that really interesting way to look at this kind of philosophical existential question.
1: Definitely. I think also with what you said about her playing up her roboticness in this minute, it goes to what the film is doing, programming us. Mm-hmm. It keeps reminding us she gets up and walks around. We see more of her body. We're like, oh, yeah, this is a robot we're looking at, even though we know It's an actress, but Mm. if we've suspended our disbelief well enough, it's reminding us there's a robot. But then, yeah, when the power goes out, she gets up close and seems more like a person. And so it's playing with what we think of her as well, the same way it's playing with what Caleb thinks of her.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And
1: so those different levels of programming are fun for me. Mm. That's what I wrote about when I wrote about this movie in my blog is like that level of programming that society does on us and the movie is doing on us. And then like what Nathan is doing to Caleb or Ava and what they're doing to each other. Yeah. And yeah, it comes down to whether free will exists or not. You can manipulate.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. And, you know, I think that I've never really thought about like tropes as being programming, but they they totally can be and they totally are. And this movie does a really good job of weaponizing those tropes to play with our expectations.
1: Mm hmm. Yeah, the same way Nathan is. He mm-hmm. designed her all um, we see all of his androids, they're not even technically androids, because he makes them all female, they're gynoids. Mm-hmm. And he does that on purpose because that's what he imagines robots as, sort of, and that's what he is using against Caleb. And even just the fact that Kyoko always wears those like short white dresses is like playing on this trope of this diminutive, submissive eastern woman.
0: Yeah, yeah. Those kind of like, you know, very out now outdated tropes, but but a lot of dude bros that would probably be fans of this kind of guy would hang on to.
1: Yeah, if they could have a robot made, they'd make her look like that, too.
0: Yeah, that, that kind of quote unquote, you know, waifu just like, ah, yes, like the guys who watch a lot of anime, but, you know, miss some maybe some of the the points and just kind of focus on the <laughs> wrong
1: things. You're too distracted by the visuals to get the themes.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: Which this movie can do to you, too.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: Deliberately, they, they made Ava. I mean, they don't do a lot of like male gaze camera on her, mm-hmm. but inevitably almost every shot of her will be because she isn't wearing clothing you know, we're always going to see her body and be attracted. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, The movie is playing with us.
0: Yeah. And that's why I really love that ending where she is just kind of, there's no one watching her. She's not having to perform for anyone. And she's just Mm -hmm. now she's the one. And it's around this time where she talks about like people watching. It's in one of these early sessions. And so she doesn't have to be the one that box. She doesn't have to be the one performing for, you know, the audience or uh, the audience surrogate in Caleb at this time. She gets to kind of look at everyone else and see everyone else's programming at work.
1: Yeah. And depending on how you read the ending and what she's doing. Maybe it won't go so well once she's out there and sees more people and sees maybe a lot of them are not nice. <laughs>
0: yeah, no. So. It kind of leaves it very, very ambiguous,
1: mm-hmm. which works. And I, I love that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah.
0: My main takeaway was kind of the big philosophical free will versus determinism thing, right. rewatching this movie. Yeah, I, I got to say, though, I really like it. It's a movie that I think, as we talked about, does improve with a rewatch like a lot of Alex Garland's stuff, I think does. He is a very, very smart writer and he's puts so much stuff into all of his movies that that you might not catch the first time around.
1: Yep. Now, if listeners might want to hear more from you or find you, where can they do so?
0: Yeah, so uh, like you mentioned, I do my podcast underrated. So you can find that on any of the podcast apps on YouTube, all that good stuff, Spotify, Apple. So however you're listening to this, Underrated is going to be there as well. It's a film podcast, as people might assume, on underrated films. So Ex Machina is not going to pop up there. So I'm glad I got a chance to talk about it here. I also do some other writing. You can check me out on Medium. Or if you watch Watch Mojo, I've written a bunch oh. of a list for them freelance. So I do some writing around the internet that you can always check out. Just look up underrated or undercast company. Me and my friends are undercast company when we make podcasts.
1: Thank you for listening. Minutia Ex Machina is just one part of an existential trilogy of podcasts. Tune in every Tuesday for more Ex Machina, every Wednesday for the Groundhog Day Project Minute by Minute, and every Thursday for Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Minute. You can follow all three shows in one feed. Just search An Existential Trilogy. Follow this show on Twitter at Minutia, Instagram at Minutia underscore X underscore Machina, or Facebook at Minutia Ex Machina. This has been a production of Lemming Drops Studio. You can find links to more at lemmingdrops.com or join the Facebook group, Lemming Drops Studio Tour. Also, you can support all my shows at patreon.com slash lemmingdrops. Until next time. What imperative does a gray box have to interact with another gray box? Can consciousness exist without interaction? The real test is to show you that she's a robot and then see if you still feel she has consciousness.